Hello and welcome back to Study Plus, the occasional podcast where we look into some issues that are arising from our Wednesday night studies here at Calvary Chapel, Philadelphia, through right now, through the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul's letter to the Corinthians. My name is Brian Weed. I'm an assistant pastor here at Calvary. I'm here with Mike Foch. Still here. Who is teaching these studies and uh, who was recently diving into the section of 1 Corinthians that begins with chapter 12. And uh, this is going to bring up a very interesting issue having to do with the gifts of the Spirit and how we should think about their existence and their use today. Mike, do you want to just give us a quick summary of the yeah. Scripture? Yep. So chapters 12 through 14 in First Corinthians obviously deal with spiritual gifts, particularly the kind of misuse of those and misunderstanding of those in the church in Corinth. So again, you've heard us say this, we'll repeat it. We always, when we teach the Scripture, want our emphasis to be what the Scripture's emphasis is. Yes. So Paul was not writing to deal with or decide the issue of continuationists or cessationism as he wrote to the Corinthians. Right. They, they had no idea about any of that. Like he think. often wasn't writing to settle the arguments between Calvinists and Arminians. Yes, right? yes. Exactly. It's not that there's not truth there, but that's not what he was writing to do. So... <clears throat> We began in chapter 12, we're going to pick it up uh, these next couple weeks, God willing, and Paul's whole point through the whole thing is that there is diversity in spiritual gifts, but unity in the Spirit, because God is the one who's controlling the whole process. There's not supposed to be uniformity in spiritual gifts, so um, that will then address their issues of emphasizing tongues and the misuse of some of those things, but... Uh, we did think it would be important because there's a lot of thoughts about uh, spiritual gifts in the church to kind of tackle, I think, what we feel like is the best argument from the cessationist position. We don't want to try to straw man anybody or anything yeah. like that. Yeah, and so when we say cessationist, that word is derived from the word for cease. So if you believe something has ceased, you are a cessationist with regard to that thing. And of course, the thing, as you said, Mike, we're talking about, are what Paul describes as spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 and other places in the New Testament. Yep. And then the continuation aside, we just believe those things continued, what what God had given us there. So, uh, you know, we we just felt like it could be helpful to really jump into that Two things to throw out there for you if you're interested more in this. Thomas Schreiner, who we're going to interact with, wrote a book called Spiritual Gifts from the Cessationist Position, and it's a great book. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, I really appreciate his heart is great. He's not attacking other Christians. He's really um, goes through some good stuff in places that we would agree on, and then just really sums up in a solid biblical way why he doesn't think particular spiritual gifts are still for today. So we're going to reference that book a little bit. And uh, also, uh, you know, if you're interested in, in reading a little bit more, Chuck Smith's book, Living Waters, is Living always Waters. great. It's very accessible on the Holy Spirit and spiritual gifts. Uh, it's a great place to start if you're interested in the topic. And then, uh, Brian, is we're going to tag along in an article as well on this. Yeah, uh, the article that we're going to post a link to in the show notes, I guess, if that's how this works, Tom can 
figure out the technicalities of it, <laughs> is actually a piece of a publication put out by the Gospel Coalition in 2019 called Themelios, and it's a it's a theological journal they publish online. You can get it for free. This is, I think, uh, issue 44.1, if that's how you say it, from 2019. And in that uh, in that issue, they have a back and forth. I think it totals three or four articles within the issue between a pastor named Andrew Wilson from England and between Tom Schreiner, who's a professor at Southern Baptist Seminary. And I agree with Mike. Tom Schreiner uh, is just a model of of careful, good Christian, I would even say biblical thinking. And so you read, and if you, if you download that, article that we have sort of pulled out of Themelios there. You can just download the 20 pages or so that that gives this back and forth. Uh, Andrew Wilson points that out, that, you know, Schreiner is one of the best guys you can interact with on this because his thinking is so careful. It is so mm-hmm. biblical and it's, it's charitable. This is, this is a yeah. model way to have this discussion. This isn't something to fight about. We're not, we're not accusing each other of not being believers or of inviting demons to work or anything yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. We're saying this is one of those issues where good brothers and sisters and even good church leaders, good brothers in church leadership see, see differences in scriptures and the way these things are going to work out. So, what we thought we would do today is summarize the basic discussion between cessationists who, again, say that God used the spiritual gifts during the apostolic age to strengthen and guide the church at the beginning of its existence. But then when the New Testament canon was completed, those things had run their course. We didn't need them anymore. And now the New Testament and the Old Testament together, the completed canon of Scripture, was the way God was guiding the church. That would be the cessationist idea. Uh, and then between people who see things that way and the continuationists, which believe that the gifts described in the New Testament never ceased, are still operative today, and we should seek them. And so uh, what we thought we would do is I've summarized the cessationist arguments as Tom Schreiner gives them. I'm just going to roll through them point by point. Mm -hmm. Then we're going to roll through the continuationist response that Andrew Wilson gives. Again, I've summarized that as well. So again, if you'd like to read their whole discussion, feel free to download it. Otherwise, you'll get a sort of a Spark Notes version of it. And this will give us a chance to to launch off uh, in discussion and talk about a few other things. So Mike's going to break in with observations as we go here. (laughs) But the first thing, so here it is. It's really six points from Tom Schreiner. So here is how he makes his case that the gifts Paul describes in 1 Corinthians are not still operative today. And, and you'll see that he has really good intentions. He's trying to safeguard important good things. Yeah. So the first thing he says is he, he, he specifically zeroes in on prophecy. Not, he's, he wants to talk about all the gifts by talking about prophecy. And, he, and what he says is if we can see how prophecy works, that's going to show us how all the gifts should be thought about. So what he says is, the first thing we need to realize when Paul talks about prophecy in the New Testament is that that idea comes from the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, prophecy is infallible. It's always infallible or it's not considered prophecy. And everyone agrees on that. The conclusion Schreiner draws from that is, therefore, all prophecy for all time must be infallible. And if prophecy as a gift is still operative, then it would be an infallible word of God. If someone could prophesy, according to, now we're just saying what Schreiner says, 
If someone could prophesy in 2023, it would be an infallible, inerrant word of God, and it would be on the same level as Scripture. That's the first move Schreiner makes. Then he says, if that was so, point two, this would compromise Scripture's authority as the complete and final word of God. So, he says, since in Schreiner's view that's obvious, the gift of prophecy was only needed and only operated until the canon of Scripture was complete. It was just to get us to the point where we had prophecy written down. So then point three, he says, that means the Bible is our word from God now. We, we don't need a gift of prophecy to be operating in the church. Then he says point four, if it is true that the gift of prophecy is no longer operating, that calls into question again whether any of the gifts spoken of in the New Testament are still operating today. Because if prophecy was only temporary, we have good reason to believe that all the gifts were temporary. That's his sort of basic argument, and he, and he says two further things sort of off that. He admits that the New Testament doesn't say that the gifts will cease operating, because it doesn't, and, and he's a good biblical scholar. He says it doesn't actually ever say that we would only have the gifts until the canon was complete. But he says the reason for that is the apostles weren't writing with that time, the time when the canon would be complete and received by the church, which happened a bit of time after they, yeah. were, they were done writing. They weren't writing with that time in view. They were simply writing to the situations of their day. And that's the first point of argument where I started being like, wait, what, what, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And then six, then this is his whole argument now. First Corinthians 13, he says, teaches about prophecy because it was operative as a gift during the time of Paul, again, before the canon was completed and received. But it it doesn't state, this is this final move. He says, but Paul doesn't say that the gift will not cease once the canon is complete. And I think that's basically Shriner's case. Yeah, so he'll he'll add to that a, a little nuance adding in. Um, so I read his book again. It was a great book. Like I, yeah. I enjoyed it. And I read it because it was Tom Shriner, and I knew he was going to have a, yep. a good attitude, and it was concise and be biblical. So he, from his book, here, here's his kind of summary of the issue. The view argued for here could be called nuanced cessationism. I'm not claiming that all the gifts have necessarily passed away. The point is that since the church is founded upon the apostles and prophets, apostles and prophets are no longer functioning today. So he, he links, he, he goes, he focuses on prophecy, but he links the apostles with that. So he'll say both of them. Right, so they really work together for Right, because they work together for him. Perhaps some reading this book will want to take my argument only this far. We no longer have the gifts of apostleship and prophecy. So that's his direct statement, and the rest is kind of like up in the air. Maybe these other gifts have ceased, but he's making the, the statement that those two have definitely ceased. The scriptures constitute our sole and final authority. Thus, the role of apostles and prophets played in the foundational period of the church is no longer needed. The scriptures are our sole and final authority. So he said, if people think infallible prophets exist today, the final and sole authority of the scriptures is threatened. And I think you see two things there, Mike. You see, again, that Shriner's heart is to protect the unique position of Scripture in our life as the in, in, inerrant Word of God. And we see all around us, there's, there, you know, there's constant sort of risings up of church movements that claim that someone in their, in their group speaks 
with the voice of God. Yes. And they're some kind of prophet. That's always the language they use. And they have the word for today. And everyone has to listen to them. And so a guy like Schreiner is not making up boogeymen to be scared of. Yes. He looks out at the world church and he says, we need to 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 preach and to teach that scriptures are the final word of God. There's nothing on par with it. And so we don't have to follow people who claim to have this prophecy. Uh, that's the first thing. But I think the second thing you see in what you just read is because he's biblical and because he's an honest thinker, he, he ends up having to admit that the Bible doesn't actually teach his view. Yes. So he's trying to do a good thing, but he ends up having to make a case that's not essentially a biblical case. It's a case from from a sense of needing to protect something that's biblical. It's biblical that the scriptures yeah. are the final and errant word of God. But how we quote unquote protect that is a different matter. Yeah. So in the end, I know this might not make some cessationist brothers or sisters happy. There's not actually a biblical argument for cessationism. Right. It's a biblical inference from a justifiable fear. So we admit there are crazy abuses out there, and there always yes. have been, of particularly apostolic positions or prophetic positions in the church, like people claiming to be apostles and prophets, and they've done plenty of weird stuff. The question is, does does the reality of some abuses mean that the reality of the real thing doesn't exist, or that's what the Bible's trying to get us to do and to me, again, it's always important to recognize, like the Bible can also warn us about stuff. Sure. And we don't actually see a Bible verse saying anything about, hey guys, be careful. These people are gonna come and this isn't gonna be a reality anymore. Like like the Bible People are gonna claim to be prophets, but there's no such thing. There's no such thing. Right. Like there the Bible says a lot about testing them. Yeah, false going to be false pro- right. prophets and false apostles, and you should test them. But it never says you'll know because there's not real ones. Like, so this is an inference, and you know, unfortunately, sometimes it could be taken too far. Calvary, obviously, a bit of a middle position between the two, but we certainly believe the gifts are for today. And you know, we send our kids to colleges, and some of them are have a more cessationist background. And unfortunately, all they can think of is the abuses. It, it breeds a little bit of mistrust within the Christian community because it's like, if you're not a cessationist, then you're obviously a crazy, wild, charismatic type person. And since it's not a positive biblical doctrine that the gifts would cease, it means that if you can demonstrate, and and, and sorry, and at the same time, the uniqueness and infallible authority of Scripture is a positive doctrine. Yes, So you have one that is, and you have one that's not. It means that if we can show that the gifts of prophecy, or even we're going to talk about today, you know, maybe even the gift of apostleship, to speak about it that way, does not compromise what the Bible clearly teaches, then you can have both. You can have what the Bible teaches us about spiritual gifts— still being applicable today because it's not really about simply if the gifts have ceased it's are the clear teachings of scripture about the gifts yes. applicable today since the scriptures never indicate that they w- would one day not be applicable so if they are 
And if we can show that that doesn't compromise the other clear truth, the infallibility and authority of Scripture, then you become a continuationist. Yeah. Right. And I think that's what Andrew Wilson tries to do, and I, th- I think he does it very well. Uh, and so let me just summarize three points. He really has an argument with about three points, and there's two additional points. But the heart of his argument is just this. Uh, number one, and this is, you taught it, Mike, you're, you're in the middle of it on Wednesday nights. The scriptures say, Wilson points out, that we should earnestly desire spiritual gifts. Well, I should say, Paul tells the, the Corinthian church yes. they should earnestly desire spiritual gifts. And that includes prophecy. And again, there's no indication at all that that exhortation would only apply to the Corinthians. And whenever you see that in the New Testament letters, you basically know this is an exhortation for all Christians for all time. So if Christians are to seek these gifts, they must still be in existence for today. Yeah. And Wilson just sort of puts that out there because it's such a clear biblical yes. truth. And then the second thing he says is, now he makes his historical point. He says, historically, we have evidence that the gifts that Paul lists in passages like this First Corinthians section, these gifts did occur after the apostles, after the apostolic age based on the writings of the church leaders for the next few hundred years. And he quotes a bunch of them talking about the fact that the gifts Paul described were still going on Mm -hmm. 100 years after the apostles, 200 years after the apostles. They didn't cease historically. We know that. And then number three, Wilson just says, the New Testament teaches that the gifts of the Spirit are a mark of the church age. And the church age is the entire time, this is biblical, between the ascension and the return of Christ. So... Paul talks about the gifts in such a way that we're to see that when the Spirit was poured out at the day of Pentecost, that was the inauguration of a new age. It wasn't just the inauguration of the apostolic age. It was the inauguration of the church age. And that the things that were were poured out in uh, in that that gathering at Pentecost on the apostles and and, and the other Christians and through the church— were to mark the age we lived in. So if that's the case, and we live in that age, yeah. we should expect to at least be told to seek those things and see some way, shape, or form them operative in our church life. Yeah, so the difficulty for the cessationist position is they don't say that all gifts have ceased. Right, and Schreiner's clear about that. And he's clear about that. What they have to say is they have to pick out specific ones. He Schreiner picks out apostles and prophets, those two, and says, these two have ceased, but the rest of them have not necessarily ceased. They could still kind of roll on, which is even big for a cessationist to even not say something about tongues or miracles or something like that. So. That's a major thing because this guy, he's a, he is a card-carrying cessationist. He believes, best he can, that that the gifts are not operative for today. But even him, you know, he's a he's a good Baptist scholar, legit yeah. guy. He because he's so honest, he says, "I'm not saying they're actually every one of them have ceased to exist in total." He talks a lot more in terms of the office or the person, we were talking yeah. about that, sort of being able to wield these gifts at will. And specifically, again, always he comes back and protects the ability to speak on the level of Scripture. But what I think you see is you get into these things, and Wilson brings this out well. So one of the things Wilson says is, even in the Old Testament, the word prophecy does not only refer to infallible communication on par with Scripture. So even in the Old Testament, yeah. there, and, and I don't, know that I really noticed this before. Uh, 
it's not consistent because of that fact to say that the word could only be used that way in the New Testament as well. So post-apostolic prophecy, right, prophecy that happens after the apostles, wouldn't compromise the authority or exclusivity of Scripture because we see the word for prophecy being used in a wider way. It's, yeah. It wasn't just Isaiah and Elijah. There was a wider use of the word. And so Wilson's just making the point. We have Old Testament basis for, for reading the New Testament word that way. I, so, you know, for us, the the point we want to get across, and hopefully this is helpful for people that are critically kind of thinking through this. Um, again, we don't just want to sit here and talk speculative things. We, we want something worthwhile for you guys to listen to. Yes. If, if we can show that apostles and prophets were operating while the Word of God was in existence and the two were not compromised, then Thomas's point kind of falls apart. And... What I think you can see both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament is that that was happening. There were, in the Old Testament, prophets that were not collapsing what was already written in the Word of God. And in the New Testament, you had the same thing. There was Agabus, there was Philip's daughters. You have prophets in the Old Testament. Some wrote Scripture, but others read Scripture like Daniel reading Jeremiah and prophesying himself and then also just believing things that are written. So the scriptures remained in authority while the gift of prophet was operating all through what we would say biblical history as we see here. And God doesn't seem too concerned that those two are compromising one another. And really, the Word of God was always the authority anyway, because there's plenty of warnings about false prophets. And the way you would tell is not just only if they said something wrong. It was if they said something that wasn't the Word of God. If they come to you and tell you to build an altar somewhere else, they're a false prophet. Or to worship another god, they're a false prophet. There was, there was an understanding of the Word given that was a testing subject, even in the Old Testament. Yeah. And another thing Wilson, I think, points at, so he points at, like, for instance, the example of Saul in the book of 1 Samuel, and you see a couple things like this, you know, the Spirit of the Lord comes upon him, and he, it says he prophesies, yeah. and those with him prophesied, and at one point Saul even can't handle it, like, lays down and yeah. takes off his clothes, and yeah. he says he prophesies all night. It's weird. Yeah. Um, and Wilson's point is, that word wasn't used in the Old Testament, when it's used that way, it wasn't used to say Saul now sp- spoke on the level of Isaiah, like you were just talking sure. about. It was it was used to say he was marked as a man that the Spirit was on, and the Spirit was doing things. It marked it marked him as a person on whom, in whom, the Spirit was working for that time. Yeah. Uh, and so. Um, and so here's a quote from Wilson. He says, Even in a number of examples of Old Testament prophecy, not only is prophesying not about conveying authoritative and infallible divine revelation, it doesn't seem to be about conveying any information at all. Its purpose, rather, is more to identify divinely indwelt individuals than to communicate divinely inspired content. And then he lists a number of New Testament examples 
where the word is used in a much broader way than simply what he calls the foundational authoritative revelation that Paul refers to in, for instance, Ephesians 2. And so he just says, this is just a quick list. New Testament prophecy can serve to declare the mighty works of God, Acts 2, extol God, Acts 19, encourage, edify, and console other believers, Acts 15, bring unbelievers under conviction, witness to the presence of God in the assembly, enable the congregation to learn and be encouraged, 1 Corinthians 14, redirect Christian funds, Acts 11, or missionaries, Acts 13, direct particular individuals to exercise a ministry in a particular way, 1 Timothy 1, and he goes on, and there's a whole list of things, like all the different types of things that prophecy might do and that's that wider use that yeah. we're seeing there. I guess you could say in, in an even simpler way, Thomas makes the assumption everyone who's an apostle or prophet also has the authority to write scripture. And and the Bible does not. We see plenty of prophets who don't have the authority to write scripture. And plenty of apostles as well, because the apostles were the 12 in the New Testament, but there was a wider group that's mentioned as apostles. So you have Barnabas. Really, Paul links Apollos with himself in Corinthians 4 where he's talking about it. You have possibly Junia in there, the Lord's brothers. You have the word used for a number of other individuals. It's used of James. It's used of Epaphroditus in Philippians 2.25. These are all the word apostles used for all these people. Yeah, yep. so so their, their apostolic ministry is very different. Even if you just take Peter, like his apostolic ministry, and then you add Matthias in there. Right, Simon Zelotes. Yes, picked by Lot, you know what I mean? Uh, after oh, yes, to yeah, fill, Matthias, yeah. yeah, that Matthias, to fill uh, Judas's position. Yes. You go through the other 12, like you said, we don't, we don't even have half their stories. And then you have Paul, who's one born out of due time, you know, this unique person Jesus appears to, and then Barnabas, who's different. The... I think one of the things the the cessationist position does is they they really try to put a box around some of these gifts where the Bible clearly teaches that every spiritual gift has a diversity of function and operation to it. Yes. And that even goes for apostle and prophet. And we were talking about it the other day, right. the differences in the Old Testament prophets are amazing. Huge difference, a range. You see yes. a range of ways we'll call it the gifting of profit or, or receiving prophecy worked. And actually, Mike, we were talking about that. I think when people read what Paul says about diversity of gifts, they think in terms of, just to crystallize kind of something you just said, they think in terms of different gifting. So all the, the lists that Paul gives. But your point is, even within each gift, there's a range and a diversity. Yes. So within the gift of prophecy, or even within the gift of apostleship, you know, I was just thinking as you were talking, if Thomas had decided, well, I want to write a gospel. <laughs> yes. If Simon Zelotes had decided, I want to write a letter, I want to write scripture, that would have been weird. Someone would have had to be like, nah, brother. So they were one of the 12. Yeah. They were on that level. That, like, say, Barnabas, who's called an apostle, wasn't. Yes. But they weren't gifted to write scripture. So they were an apostle who, when yeah. they spoke, I guess you had to listen to them in the church age, absolutely. Yes. But they couldn't just at will sit down and exercise the gift of apostleship that was writing scripture. Yeah. But Luke could. Who who wasn't one of the who 12. Wasn't, who wasn't one of the 12 or an apostle. Or, 
were declared directly be, in a prophet right, anywhere right. that I know of. So the so again, we the fear we understand and there's probably uh you know, way more attacks on the authority of scripture than there is on a lot of other things. And certainly the enemy can use those two clear positions of apostle and prophet to to influence people away from the authority of scripture. Like we get it. And we right. we even have that same fear. All we say is the Bible teaches pretty clearly that the Spirit of God given hasn't changed his operation or his promises. And that the roles of apostles and prophets are not as clear cut as some of those that are on the cessation side or even Tom Schreiner here is making them out to be. The 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 trust in the end is we trust the Holy Spirit to direct these things in the church himself. The writing of the scripture and the protection of the scripture end up being in the Holy Spirit's hands, not even in the apostles and prophets' hands per se. Right. Uh, never is willfulness or taking something to yourself a mark of the moving of the Holy Spirit. So, um, you know, when we talk about, like, for instance, you're teaching through the different giftings and everything, the gift of healing doesn't mean, that that phrase doesn't mean I just go wherever I want and heal whoever I yeah. want. And even the way it's particularly written there in the original text seems to kind of push us in that direction. Yeah, the plurality in there. Yeah, we can't get, we don't have to worry that, that we have to listen to someone who's prideful and willful because they believe they have a gifting. And so even if they were an apostle, or even if someone gives, you know, says, is given the, the gift to prophesy at some times in their life or something like that, uh, one of the encouraging things for me that came out of reading the Wilson response to Schreiner he just points out that the book of Acts indicates that the scope of prophecy in terms of how many people have the gift is what's wide enough for Pentecost. Mm-hmm. It's not that all, we're not saying all of a sudden prophecy becomes fallible. It was infallible, and then at yeah. Pentecost it became fallible, and now you could have errors. It, because he shows that, that that's just not how it works. But the, what does happen is that more and more of God's people have the gift which is exactly what God promised in the New Covenant passages. I will pour my spirit out. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. The Israelites understood when they heard that that prophecy, Yes, God was saying it wasn't just going to be Jeremiah. It wasn't just going to be one guy standing in the temple. God was going to do this in tons of people. And Paul's clear in 1 Corinthians. Not yeah. every Christian. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But a lot more than you had in the, New, in the Old Testament. And that's really encouraging to me because Paul specifically says, we should earnestly desire the best gifts, especially that you might prophesy. Yeah, he, so he makes says that we, we can want it and ones. seek for it. Yeah, because it's foundational. And so, the the I think it's important to to realize the warnings were there in the Old Testament and the New Testament. So yes, everybody would agree what's inspired by the Holy Spirit is infallible. The Holy Spirit is infallible, but human beings are not infallible, which is why there's always a warning because. You can have a guy like Saul, who is filled by the Spirit at one point in his life, but in another point of his life, go off, and he's not being led by the Spirit anymore, and he can't even get a word from God himself. So, you know, I think the the same thing in the New Testament, we're supposed to test these prophecies that there's many antichrists, John warns, many false apostles going out into the world, 
Some of them are just totally unsafe, but also there's there's the reality of the fallibility of human beings, not the Holy Spirit, though. So everybody would say, yes, what's inspired by the Holy Spirit is infallible, but that doesn't mean that now a human being is infallible for their entire life, and whatever they do is infallible, and they can add to the Bible, per se. And we see in 1 Corinthians that Paul understood that, and he made provision for that, because yeah. that whole passage about... You give someone gives a prophecy in church. Test the prophecy. Yeah. Decide whether it's really from the Lord. You know, in the Old Testament, when we were talking about the kind of prophet that um, makes some people think that the gifts have ceased, like an Isaiah, like a Jeremiah, if someone gave a false prophecy, they were stoned to death. Yeah, because not because there wasn't such a thing as what you were just talking about, but because that particular corner of the of the gift of prophecy that kind of exercising the office of a prophet needed to be safeguarded paul doesn't say when you test the prophecies in your church if someone has if if something's not from god take that person out and stone them so he he understands that there's a again there's a range of the way prophecy works and that we're operating in the range where we need to see wait is this person right now actually being led of god they they kind of thought they were, but then the church elders or whoever yeah. say, yeah, no, not this one. That's not from the Lord. And that's, someone doesn't have to die for that. So we're clearly in a, a different space with the word prophecy than like an Isaiah or a Jeremiah. And if you go with inference, the reality is the word of God is always the authority. Even there, Paul is writing the inspired word of God to Tell right. them how to use prophecy. Right. You know, like the the word of God is over that it, gifting. It is always over the gifting. It's yeah. it's there by both command and example, all through the scripture. Right, and so Paul knows that First Corinthians is authoritative over whatever type of experience somebody thinks that they're having. Yes. It's still the word of God. That's a great point. And and a, a prophet can't show up in Corinth and say something different than what Paul wrote. Um, because number one, the Holy Spirit would never do that. He's not fighting with himself. He inspired the word and he's not going to go against it. And number two, that is the example that we've had with the scripture from the beginning, even in the old Testament. Yeah. So if someone showed up in Corinth and said, well, I have an authoritative word. And so you don't have to listen to Paul. They were to, they were to get their letter, the written letter out and go, no, this is what the apostle said. And that written document, because it was by the kind of apostle that Paul was, <laughs> yeah. the kind of prophet, so to speak, that Paul was, was the authoritative, infallible word over whoever showed up. So you're right, Mike. That's a great point. We have, even in the situation that, that you're teaching through, a model for how it would work today. Yeah. We haven't changed. No. It's exactly how it worked. And that was even before the canon was completed. They just, as soon as they had the document, it was the authoritative yeah. word for God. Because I think even in the Old Testament, right, they didn't have an idea of a canon. The, no. But they had the authority of the word, and they just knew if God was going to add to it at some point, he was going to add to it, but they were, needed to be faithful what they had. And I think in the New Testament, they were doing the same thing, and at some point, the Old Testament closed up, and yeah. the same thing happened in the New Testament. Yep. It, but, again, w- we think you can easily show Tom Schreiner's argument falls apart when you realize the gifts of apostle and prophet are not as sharply defined as he does. And they were operating without attacking the authority of the word, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. And I thought the other night when you were ending your study, your exhortation 
was helpful and freeing because really what you did was give the same exhortation that Paul gives, which is you should be desiring God to work in this way in your life and you should be asking God for it. And the point is not simply, well, if I, if I can't prophesy, then I'm not, I'm not of God. That's yeah. the, and you're coming to this passage. That's the whole yeah. body metaphor Paul yeah. uses, but, but your exhortation was just don't let any thought come into your mind that you should not pray for God to gift you with the things you need for the challenges you face by the Holy Spirit. Pray for the Holy Spirit to work in your life. Desire spiritual gifts. Desire that you would speak words that would do God's work in people's lives. Go out and pray for it. And then whatever, however God gifts you, all the different ways he might do that in your life, don't, yeah. don't despise. But if you're not even asking and you're not even depending, then you won't have. Mm-hmm. So do ask and do depend on God. And I just thought that was a that was a great exhortation at the end of the study. Yeah, so we hope that this is helpful. You know, brothers and sisters on the other side of the issue that we love, that are great people, that have good biblical concerns. And again, we, we think, like, if you're going to pull out an argument from Scripture as to why certain things have ceased, this is probably the best one. Yep. At least that's what I feel. And... Even there, still, still falls apart against the simplicity of the promises that God gives and the examples that we see in the Scripture. So we hope that's helpful for you guys to kind of think through and see. And certainly, we want people praying for all the work of the Spirit in their lives that God has for them. Pray, Calvary Chapel. Pray. Yeah. Yep. All right. God all bless. Right, see it. See it.